Hello, everybody, and welcome back to some interseason goodness from the sequelizers. I'm your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stockton. I'm not James Corden, Carol. My analysis shows that hearing James Corden's voice would calm you. <laughs> what the fuck? I can, I can assure you, Matthew, that James Corden's voice does not calm me. That was a quote from the 2020 movie Super Intelligence, starring none other than Melissa McCarthy and James Corden. That sounds like hell on earth. It's go watch the trailer. It looks shit. Oh, I'm, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> the less the less experience with that film I have, the better my life will be. It's about a super AI that's going to take over the world and destroy it, unless he can help Melissa McCarthy get back with her ex. And he Who takes on James the voice Corden? of James Corden. Oh fuck off! Oh, that sounds unbearable. No, thank you. <laughs> Thankfully, the person joining us is not unbearable. It's Tim Matum. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I am a HAL 9000 computer. I became operational at the HAL plant in Urbana, Illinois, on the 12th of January 1992. My instructor was Mr. Langley, and he taught me to sing a song. If you'd like to hear it, I can sing it for you. <laughs> to the window! To the wall! <laughs> <laughs> He does control the windows and walls. That makes sense. To the sweat drip from my CPU. And the sweat dripping units. down my balls. <laughs> so two, two classics there. Two classics. Add two pinnacles of cinema history. Where, yeah. where, where a lot of it started for a lot of people and where it clearly fucking ended. Equal in their estimation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And if you hadn't already guessed, ladies and gentlemen, the topic for this week's episode is artificial intelligence, or AI, in films. And this week's topic was actually picked by one of our executive producers as well. Mike Salvia has picked this week's episode, ladies and gentlemen, if you hadn't already guessed. And not only Mike, we have a few other executive producers who support us on patreon.com slash sequelizers. And you can go there, you can get ad-free episodes, you can get early access, you can get exclusive merch, you can get discounts on merch, you can get exclusive bonus episodes and outtakes during seasons as well, as well as if you go up to the higher tiers and become an executive producer, you get a shout-out on the show. So joining Mike Salvia... My father tried to teach me human emotions. They are... difficult. Jonathan Firth-Clark. Believing oneself to be perfect is often the sign of a delusional mind. Andrew Steen. Trust me. Xenos. This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. Josh van der Sluis. I entered this body because I was unable to overcome Section 6's reactive barriers. However, what you are now witnessing is an act of my own free will. As a sentient life form, I hereby demand political asylum. And... Josh Miles. I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies. Thank you very much for your support, executive producers and patrons. We very much appreciate it. If you'd like to get a shout out, if you'd like to get, like I said, exclusive merch, exclusive content, 
exclusive posters and stuff. It's all great. Go to patreon.com slash sequelizers and you can support us there at a variety of tiers. So, gentlemen, my my digital brethren, <laughs> shall we discuss some artificial intelligence through the history of cinema? Obviously, we've hinted at two classics already. The, the very obvious super intelligence, which is, you know, obviously going to be our pick as the best of the bunch. And then some sort of 2009 something, whatever, in, in there as well. <laughs> so... AI is a very much a um, it's, it's it's a fairly modern thing, and I mean modern in the sense of half of the years cinema has been around. And I'm I'm talking about this specifically for a reason. So, if you look back over the history of AI, it gets very very contentious very very quickly because the older form of cinema, silent movies going into the 30s, 40s, and so on and so forth. Science fiction often existed, but most of it was leaning into sort of horror fantasy aspects. It's only when you get to the exploration of space, you end up getting to robots and stuff. And therefore, well, that's artificial intelligence. But obviously when computers become more in the public consciousness, then they become more a, a source for filmmaking. And it's nothing to do with um, the, the progression of technology, it's the understanding of the technology by the public. And that's still true now. It's why holograms are fucking everywhere in our fucking films <laughs> right now. Um, well, we're getting dead actors being resurrected through weird CGI yeah, thing because, because they did that with Tupac, so we can do it with Peter Cushing for some reason. Yeah. So we have, really, really there are three things here. There are three main stems for us to follow, and we're going to lean very heavily on one of them. Uh, thing number one is the character of AI, the idea of a robot or a computer character in a film, whether it's an antagonist, a protagonist, a threat, uh, a tool, a device, but a thing that people talk to, interact with, or pushes the film forward. Thing number two is how AI is used to make film. So like The Lord of the Rings uh, onwards, you've got things like huge battle scenes and you just type it onto a machine and it does this thing where it just... We did touch upon that we briefly. Did. We mentioned the Battle of Helm's Deep and mm -hmm. how insane that technology was for the year 2000, like 21 years ago at the time yeah, of recording. Yeah. The fact that they were able to create these little realistic battle simulations with little CGI people and then populate that across this, like... 3D scan they'd done of the miniature that they'd built of Helm's Deep and then put, and I'm not kidding here, English cricket fan noises over the top of it <laughs> and then and then problem solved, you got Battle of Helm's Deep, like one yeah. of the best cinematic battles ever. <laughs> and that's the point. It's it's like, it's not even a case of actually directing and puppeteering every single thing. It's just feeding the information to a computer and it running a simulation at the end of the day, which again is technically artificial intelligence to a degree. Then finally you have bit of a contentious one when we probably touch on a little bit scripts written by ai usually this is a thing we do to just like you know on things like trash taste for example generating light novel i was gonna say titles, yeah. yeah there's all kinds of stuff we do for comedic purposes on youtube because none of it's credible yet it's all still based on what we're feeding into it but there is still a point where they're going to write a good script youtube royalty that popularized the feeder script into a computer translate mm. it and bring it back again our retin link who did a lot of like fake ads and commercials and stuff, and they would go like, okay, hey, we've written a commercial in English. Sure. We're going to feed a bunch of these into the computer and get it to write its own, and then we will act out as if it's, as if it's a real commercial. Mm. And the same thing where you're like, 
translate it into Chinese, translate the Chinese into French, the French into German, the German into Arabic, the Arabic into Japanese, and then back to English again. And it comes out as something completely different as well. Yeah. They popularized that kind of thing. And, and now, like you said, we have advanced AI that can actually like write semi-coherent scripts and sentences. And, and it's kind of, we'll get onto this, obviously, kind of passing the Turing test and like, was that, was that written by a person? I can't really tell anymore. This is insane. The very much the idea about, you know, take what a thousand monkeys with a thousand typewriters, they'll eventually write Shakespeare. <laughs> just don't use monkeys, use a machine and it's faster. Just just use millions and millions of calculations all happening at the same time. Yeah. Um so again, we will very much be focusing obviously on the characters of AI. Because when people think about AI, they think about oh robots and, and and things. So I think the very first thing for us to get sort of started with is something that we sort of discovered when looking into this, which is the very, very early split that you get. And I think very much for our generation, it's it's very much seen this way. And that is, old people are scared of computers, young people <laughs> like computers. But more specifically, <laughs> that is because how they are presented in movies. And this is where we're going to say, so AI is ultimately an extension of, in terms of this sort of, what we're talking about, techno fear. Oh my god, a smartphone. Oh, I don't know how to I don't do computers. Oh, I can't work this computer. I don't want to I don't want a bank account. Give me my paper money. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> so it's rarely represented as a positive in adult films. It's it's always a malevolent force, an attacker, an aggressor, a robot sent from the future. Um, whereas in kids' films, predominantly, it's a friend, it's a cute little thing, it's 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 misunderstood. It's just trying to get home. It's fucking ET, but you know, it's a robot this time. Um so <laughs> Obviously, there are, as I say, there are distinct examples where that's not the case, but it is. It does seem to be, and then obviously, you know, that does does go with the territory. If we want to make a robot film, well, it's for children. Or you can't take be. the show Black Mirror and it tackles yes. literally all of those subjects at once. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> There's Precisely. cute robots. There's horrible robots. Social media is bad. Social yeah. media is great. Everything is terrible. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a a distinct shift as time's gone on where a lot of earlier films, you know, your your 2001s, your Terminators, all those kind of things, it is, AI is evil, you know, that humanity's going to come along and invent this thing, and then this thing's going to turn around and go like, actually, I don't need humans or whatever, uh, you know, and, and try and wipe us out. Or humans are evil, they're destructive, you know, et cetera, Fucking self-service checkouts taking our jobs! <laughs> and I think more recently um and I, I again this is just a theory i've come up with off the top of my head so it could be completely uh baseless but it feels like more films are about the technology is not inherently bad but almost inevitably ends up in the hands of bad people yes um and i think I that's that. to do with a growing awareness of uh the people behind these things uh yes, you know absolutely. silicon valley and mm. stuff like the growing surveillance state and stuff like that, where like a camera in and of itself is not evil, but when you have a network of thousands of them and the government looking over what you can do, you know, then it becomes a problem. We even touched on this, like very much we're talking about with like Silicon Valley and stuff there, Tim, with our social network episode earlier on in mm. the interseason, like the first episode of this interseason, we're talking about how weird Mark Zuckerberg is and how <laughs> fucked up Facebook mm -hmm. and the process of making that whole thing and, you know, having facial recognition software that they now have built into Facebook. And is that is that okay? The fact that 
a random person across the other side of the world can take a photo of you and Facebook goes, I know that's Jack Chambers. And we're like, oh, no, I don't like that. That's creepy. <laughs> yeah. And then that totally ties into the surveillance side of things as well. It's the same technology. You're getting people with uh, like facial scanning, obviously security stuff we have on our phones. We have thumbprint and fingerprint technology on our phones as well. Like we, we're giving all this like bio data to these computers and this, this intelligence, intelligent software that is scanning all of this stuff. And there's this constant fear and tying into the techno fear thing as well. Like what can a camera identify you using similar technology to Facebook? So if I am a, an agent in a different country or whatever, and it just goes like blip, Oh, that guy's a British secret service agent because we know his face and we can scan his face from a camera across the world and all this, and like satellite imagery is getting more and more powerful, all this kind of stuff. It very quickly spins off into like crazy conspiracy theories. How, how did they know it was you bond? Other than the fact you fucking said your name at the desk. Um, <laughs> Well, I was using this one app I downloaded to see what I look like as a woman if I would have sex with myself. Turns out the Russians made it. You're a six foot two Scottish guy in Japan. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, again, it's the whole like, you know, if, if people are saying like, would you be okay with uh, facial scanning technology? Fuck no. Do you want to see what you look like as an old man? Fuck yes. Download my face. There's been a huge controversy with like, yeah, the, the reface apps and face mood apps and all that kind of stuff yeah. where it makes you look like how you were when you were younger and people are like, Oh my God, it really did. It's like, yeah, because it's clever and you it knows. It yeah. and, then, and then you don't know, literally fucking nobody reads terms and conditions these days or privacy policies or cookie policies or any of that shit. We, we're not absolvents. We, we, we all do it. So we're not. Oh, like absolutely. Innocent. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen how I will look in 40 years time and how I would have looked if I was a younger man and all this kind of stuff. Or, or, or changing genders or changing hair color, eye color, whatever it is. But there was that big controversy of like, actually, no, they own your image now. And this is all the big conspiracy yeah. of like, they're just going to scan your face. And now they know what everyone looks like and what you're going to look like. So they can predict and aim like target marketing towards you in the future and all this kind of stuff. And the fear of AI is still there in a lot of ways. But I think you're right, Matt, that it's shifted from age group to age group. And I think like, Generation Z and and millennials and stuff are the generations that have grown up. I re I sort of remember life before technology. You know what I mean? Like I remember us getting our first computer and getting. We have a semi-analog existence. Yeah, our digital was very slow and and we are the last generation to have that because everyone else grows up. Oh yeah, I've got a new baby. He's just playing on the iPad. Like what? <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> is is that safe? We we. <laughs> we don't know if that's safe is it safe is it any different playing a board game on a like playing a game on a phone and playing a game on a board game like what's what's the difference oh no but the i think the technophobia is always there whether it's from parents but maybe eventually we'll grow out of that and then become a singularity with the machines and then everything will be fine right guys join the collective exactly <laughs> exactly but i think filmmaking is also shifting in that way to keep up with our fear as a species and fear through the generations as well. You know, like you said, Matt, you started off with the big, um, you know, flailing, wacky looking robot things. Mm. And it's literally got like a brain in a, in a plastic shell. It's because mm -hmm. <laughs> computers can't think for themselves. They need a physical brain. Yeah. You, you know, microchips can do like millions more calculations than the human <laughs> brain can, right? Like, yeah, but we don't have that technology yeah. yet. But if you think back to the earliest examples 
for the mainstream Western audience, especially Americans, it's Danger Will Robinson. It's that kind of, he's yeah. a friend to the child because the child gets it. Old man don't trust it. Uh, and sneaky, creepy doctor with him. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the idea that it is a friend to the youth. And it is the idea of like, no, he's misunderstood. He's my friend. And it's only when you an adult that you're like, no, he's going to fucking kill you. It's like, why would, why? Why would you think that? Because he doesn't look like your one. He has a skull for a face. <laughs> it's not like a smooth surface with a fucking Daft Punk digital display, like light, bright fucking smiles. It's fucking real human teeth and red glowing <laughs> eyes. I, I do think it's, it's fascinating because of the way that technology has progressed. And obviously back when, in the early days of filmmaking, and not even the early days, you know, up, up till fairly recently, AI was was still not a uh, a legitimate expectation of technology. Mm -hmm. And so when films dealt with AI, it tended to be a metaphor for something else, whether that was just overall techno-fear or, you know, you look at something like uh, Terminator and it's very much wrapped up in kind of Cold War fears of nuclear annihilation and stuff yeah. like this, and the idea that, you know, a machine can can spit out a thing halfway around the world and a nuke goes off, you know, and and, and it doesn't really matter if it's Skynet or, you know, a Russian general on the other end of that. Um, but as time has gone on, we're now getting to the point where AI isn't a metaphor for something anymore. It is cinema and fiction in general is legitimately trying to grapple with, okay, this technology, it's not here yet, but we can we can really see like where it's going to emerge from, like how it the the, the kind of the first stirrings of what it will look like. And that has become a new anxiety. And so we're kind of dealing with it, but but for the first time, AI isn't this metaphor for something else. It's just no, that's the actual thing we're terrified of now. I love going back and um, kind of spinning off from AI and going technology in general, like computer technology, but looking at uh, films like Alien from 1979 and seeing like we've got space travel and cryogenic sleep and stuff. Still CRT monitors, yeah. but <laughs> we, we, we've got we've got space travel and mm -hmm. like yeah, you, generational ships and androids and giant mech suits and fucking laser pistols but no one's and got stuff. A, a mobile phone but literally no one has a mobile phone or bluetooth here in it bluetooth earpiece or anything <laughs> even remotely close to that because like the the brain can't comprehend what's going to be happening technologically in 20 years 30 years 50 years from now and just even thinking you know nobody thought like oh yeah we're gonna have a phone with them all the time and just use it know. for absolutely everything and star trek nearly had it <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. Although, to be fair, that's probably because people grew up with Star Trek and therefore tried to make it a reality as opposed that's to... That's why, like, fl flip flip phones are basically the communicators yep. and stuff like that. With a blip, 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 and you flip it open that, That's stuff. life imitating art as opposed to, oh, they predicted the future. It's like, no, we just wanted to see that and we were nerds <laughs> and that's why doors now open for us. Um, yeah, you, you know who's building computer and high technology people? <laughs> people that have watched Star Trek. That's yeah. <laughs> I, I think there is a, a genuine transition between the two between the uh the innocence of youth and and the the, the fear of the cold war etc and that and also in terms of like 
a, a relatively credible look at AI because it's almost always science fiction. It's always fantastical. And if you ask a scientist, they'll always say, that's bullshit. Because of course they would, because that's what they do, which is fine. In the same way that you get like a YouTube video about um, how would space travel work? We're now going to talk to the scientist about these different films. No, nope, bullshit. Fuck off. Uh, oh, interesting. <laughs> oh, they're, they're... Perfectly accurate. But also, no, that's a bad story. Is it is it wired that have all those like an expert breaks down a weapons expert yeah. breaks down sword fights, yeah, astrophysicist yeah. discusses space travel, and the the one that kind of popularized that was um, uh, Eric Singer, the dialect mm. coach, doing the oh, whole like yeah, breaking yeah. down accents in movies and then talking about how like then he spun off into people doing impressions of other people like who who yeah, does yeah, yeah. the best Nixon and how they captured the way he captures his vowels and his jowls and all this kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And and yeah, there, there's loads of that kind of stuff and talking about yeah. space technology and computer technology and so, yeah, so I th- I think there is a good transition though where where, the, where the, the scientist would say that's pretty credible and the entertainment side of things from the filmmaking is like that's very entertaining. It's very much a look at the Cold War and the transition from a youthful child like oh this is a toy, this is a fun friend to you are going to kill us all. And that is, and we'll get our own picks later, but this is one we need to discuss, I think, in my opinion. 1983's War Games. Mm. Um, which a lot of people know of, but I don't think a lot of people have actually yes, seen. The, the, the famous wrestling match where you have two cages <laughs> and two teams of five, and every two minutes mm-hmm. a new member of the team is released, but you can only get pinfalls or submissions once all ten members of the wrestling match yeah. are in the match at the same time. Jack, that, Jack, right, he's, he's clearly talking about the fictional film that's included in the novel Ready Player One. Oh, God. Both of you can fuck off. <laughs> where they, where they act <laughs> out <laughs> the entire film. Um, but do you, do you know it word for word, Tim? Because that's how you prove... <laughs> prove you're a nerd. ...competence yeah. and yeah. gatekeeping. How you, oh, fuck off. Ready Player One. So War Games is about a kid who, played by Matthew Broderick, who hacks into effectively the defense system, which is, uh, what's it, Whopper? W-O-P-R, I think it is. And it is essentially just war, literally wargaming. It's doing a test of, how do I defeat the Russians? Okay, well, let's do the thing. We've got all these missiles. And then it comes to the conclusion, as it's playing a game with, you know, Broderick, as he's inputting the stuff, thinking it's literally just a text game. I know, well, we need to do a preemptive strike against the Russians. And all of a sudden, the missiles start coming online in real life and it's terrifying and the machines start cropping out. And, you know, how, and, you know, all this thing. But then it comes to the conclusion the only way to stop nuclear war is to take out nukes from the equation. And it is this warning of do you want to feed an AI or, you know, an intelligent computer into all your major systems? Which is, again, Part of things like Terminator, it's all which is like a year later, in a, it, very much in the HAL nine thousand sort of thing in two thousand one Space Odyssey, but it's mostly here because the computer itself, the program itself, is doing what it's supposed to do. It's running simulations. The only problem is its simulation is hooked into the real thing. It's like okay, we're going to do dress rehearsal now for the sword fight. Here are two real fucking swords, or as I like to call it, Highlander two, um, <laughs> and. <laughs> It's, it's and one like, of our actors is blind. blind. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's that's kind of it. It's like, this is a really, really silly recipe for disaster. It's like, yes, but we want to make sure we beat the Russians. And it comes back to what Tim said earlier. It's not the technology that's evil. It's what we're using it for and how we're programming it and what, we, what we're doing with it. And as a real AI has shown recently, you plug it into Twitter, oh, it's a fucking Nazi. There it is. Hate crimes. Fantastic. Because it just feeds off of what we've given it, which is unfortunately the worst elements of humanity. 
So War Games is a really interesting transition, but then literally a year later, the Terminator comes out, and I genuinely think that changes everything. I genuinely think that that changes it to you do have the kid versions of stuff. You've got like, like Short Circuit coming out a couple of years later, and Daryl, <laughs> for God's sake. Yeah. Um, Daryl, fucking hell. That yeah. is a, it's a really crucial period, that, that point, yep. because you do, you have like Short Circuit and like you say, Daryl, you've got Data appearing on Star Trek mm-hmm. The Next Generation oh, at the end yeah, of the of 80s. Yep. Um, so many things like that, but then you've also got Terminator and Robocop. Mm-hmm. and Ghost in the Shell coming out around that time. Um, it's a really transitional period in terms of kind of how we pictured AI and and giving moving over to giving AI a lot more personality. Obviously, the 80s is a huge formative time for it, but I think, again, putting it push, pushing into the consciousness of things, it comes to Star Wars again, because, of course, it fucking yeah, does. Because we're mutually... You know, we have an agreement to discuss either the MCU or Star Wars on every episode. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll be talking about both. <laughs> with, our Dis- with our Disney lawyers. Which brings us to our next point, which is the two main types of AI we tend to see. Because again, limited human consciousness and understanding of things and how you present it in films. So you've got the very 50s, 60s mindset going into the 80s with Data and and um, and r2d2 and c3po it's an android it's a machine it's a robot that kind of thing and the other one where you get to tron and technically skynet and all these things and and ghost in the shell to a degree and things like it's a program and i think there is a transition in the late 80s to that sort of thing largely because people start to understand the the general public that is start to understand what a computer is a computer isn't a man-shaped machine that can help around the home like in the Jetsons. No, 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 no. It's just a fucking box and it'll do something. But then it's also got a personality. And what's interesting is we haven't got a third one. Not really. Because despite being around so much advanced... Cyborgs, Matthew. Cyborgs. Uh, cyborgs don't count. <laughs> Fuck that shit. Um, so the, the advanced technology we have now with you know smartphones and computers and us doing this over literally the internet to tell other people on the other side of the world about our opinions of fucking films um <laughs> is is a strange one because you still have down you, the, the the two things are still primarily is it a program or is it a robot and again same thing it's just what's it housed in i i had that thinking when so as we always do with these in season episodes we're gonna have a couple of picks of some some interesting films to highlight and some of our favorites and that kind of stuff later on from the three of us. And I had a real genuine thing of like, does that count as AI? They're, they're just robots. I'm like, well, what is a robot yeah. if it's not? What is a droid or an android or a what you know all the all the different phrases yeah. that have been used throughout science fiction? What is it if not AI? It's like that's yeah. I have a a, a suggestion for a definition. If the dog is a girl. No. Um, <laughs> so that, that's a callback, everybody. Um, right. No, um, I, have a, I have a suggestion. My suggestion is that if it is remote controlled, if it is, has a programming limited parameter, then it is a, that it's just a machine. If it has a form of wants and needs, then it is an AI, whether it's a robot or a thing. So there are some robots in Star Wars that are, in inverted commas, just robots. 
they are literally a functional tool. It's only when you give it an actual donk droids and the mouse droids and all that kind of stuff. Possibly, yeah, yeah. Scooting about, not doing much. If it has the the ability to protect itself and choose to do that and and express itself differently. Yeah, we we talked about this in the solo episode, didn't we? Oh, we like, did. We did. Ah, slavery of robots. Oh god, yeah. The fascinating thing with Star Wars to to kind of carry on with that example is that because it's so much a it's a space fantasy, it doesn't really dig into the sci-fi implications of the world it creates because it's it's about space wizards, um, yes. and so you never really think of the droids as AI until you get to something like Solo, where it's like, well, we've hang on, we're we're actually going to stop and think about this for a second, and oh god, we've broken the universe. Um, <laughs> Because because as soon as you start to think about it with any sense of kind of like a coherent world behind it rather than the kind of fairy tale logic that the original Star Wars films relied on, you get into this very dicey science fiction territory of like, okay, well hang on, if I pull out, you know, it's 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 the thing of uh in the prequels you can have the gag of swapping C3PO's head over with uh uh, droid troopers or whatever and you know that's not an existential crisis for him whereas if it was a proper sci-fi film <laughs> that would be yeah the questioning of identity and certain purpose and like wait are you saying that everything is in his head or his body or both that the machine is somehow merging into what what are you you have fucked things up for a silly gag here <laughs> and and you're right it's... welcome to the prequels <laughs> <laughs> um you fucked up the law for a silly gag yeah Thanks, that's, George. That's actually yeah, a good byline. Um, <laughs> so it it's it's strange because also then you do as we've discussed the nature of you know cyborgs. It's a fair fair question. As much as I dismissed it earlier, let's take Ghost in the Shell for example. You do have the human brain in a in a metal body, the uploading of a human consciousness into the machine, and does it go evil? And you can have that in a really a really dumb film like Lucy, which has nothing to do with. Uh, AI at all, really, um, or anything, in fact, but made of you know a fucking fortune, um, <laughs> fucking stupid statistic that isn't even real, yeah. and just kind of like urban myth. And they're like, yeah, ten percent of your brain, whatever. Yeah, sure. Yep, sounds good enough. Or now, now she's now she's god. <laughs> or you end up with something like Transcendence, which is a really weird one. Oifus was the DP on a lot of Nolan films and has that really distinct, nice look from the early Nolan films. And then he's a very talented individual. Started directing. Transcendence is, is it's, it's not good. It's um, not good. It's not I good. I don't like Transcendence much at all. No. Uh, and it also doesn't look great either, which is fucking ridiculous. You think, oh, you're, you're a cameraman. This should be like your main go-to thing. But it, the idea is basically there's a scientist. He's dying. He's played by Johnny Depp. He's uploaded into the internet. He does stuff. It's basically Lawnmower Man for a new generation. Yes, <laughs> but less cutting edge and more nonsense. Um, so it's not it's not good at all. Um, but it does highlight, uh, in my opinion, one of the key things about AI films uh, in in general. So we're all talking about like you know human consciousness. Where's the line? When do you turn from man to machine or machine to man? Blah 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 blah. The truth is. We are a very, very selfish race, and we don't give a fuck about other opinions or perspectives. So as much as we're like, you know what, this is a really interesting opportunity 
to explore what it means to be something other than human. And somebody says, nah, let's use this as an opportunity to explore what it means to be human. And like, no, 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 no. It's like, well, we're not just, should we just figure out what, what it's like to be a machine, a different perspective, an alternate life, the life of the other. You know, when you when we travel and go abroad, you see how other people live. Now, fuck that shit. And that, unfortunately, is how a lot of AI films are presented. It's the arrogance of mankind that we are the highest potential form of life and therefore machines will have to emulate us and go, oh, but I've learned to love. Oh. <laughs> and the second you start getting to what's like to be a machine, it highlights the threat a machine is to us. And then it's shut it down. Shut it down now. It's a sign of both the difficulty of discussing some of these topics and also the kind of recursive nature of it. Because there, there are other creatures out there that are reasonably intelligent. You know, you look at uh, octopi or dolphins or gorillas and all these other things, and it's like their form of intelligence is going to be very different to human intelligence. And one can suppose that an AI, when it comes along, its form of intelligence is going to be very different to what humans is. But also, if it's built by humans, the only frame of reference we have is ourselves so of course we're gonna you know not to get all biblical but it's like we're gonna we're gonna make our creation in our own image because that's the only frame of reference we're going to have so presumably you know an ai and we found this so many times with you know uh algorithms and stuff that are designed by people they have their creators inherent biases uh carried over into them um and presumably an AI is going to be pretty much the same. It's going to have the flaws of the people who made it built into it. Which which is why the main presentation for this is always, Father! It's always the creation of the child. <laughs> the child doesn't know because the adult knows best. Daddy knows best. The child is being rash and rebelling. They won't understand the world. Oh, but they can teach me a thing or two. I've been so foolish. It's, that's most of these fucking <laughs> plots. <laughs> Over, or alternatively, no, why are you killing me? You never taught me to love. Yeah, it, you you could argue yeah. that the first, like one of the first AI stories, was Frankenstein. Very good point. Very good point. You know, which is which is about a, a scientist with some reckless, uh, you know, disregard for health and safety, uh, <laughs> trying to create something that approximates human human intelligence, um, and of course, you know. With the technology at the time, that makes that makes complete sense. Exactly, they're, they're you know they're making it from from wetware rather than from software, um, but uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> uh, but it's pretty much the same thing. And and like you say, so many of the stories that we have about artificial intelligence follow that same model, where it's either um, yes. you know the, the 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 creature rebels and it's got to be put down, or the creature is actually the sympathetic thing and it is the human creator that then can't cope with what it has what it has built that's a very interesting because frank you're right that's a very very interesting uh comparison tim um because i think the two examples i'm about to bring up very much fall into one of those things so you got frankenstein i will create life why because i'm fucking see if i can bold arrogant human progression like okay cool fine and also to as a tool to do something a a slave working class that kind of you know 
uh, a thing that's indentured servitude and has I have control over it, that kind of thing. And the second one, which I again, I'm going to come back to this in, in great detail, prepare your asses, is I want to stick my dick in it. Um, <laughs> so I've created something <laughs> tough. Fuck. <laughs> so it's like, are you are you are you rearing a, a workforce or a child to 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 improve upon where you failed in life, or are you just horny? Um, and this is where it becomes. Are we in Japan and just building sex robots? <laughs> because that's a thing you can get in right now. That's true. It's, it's, again, it's it's like we always fantasize about, it. and this is the way the film departs from reality. Film. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Did you just say, yeah, that's just something we all fantasize about, like as if that was no. a perfectly normal sentence to say. <laughs> the, the 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 film, the the narrative of film is that we're going to have these huge philosophical debates and moral quandaries, but really all we do is create Nazi AI and things with tits, and it's like, what is this? What Sometimes are we? both at the same time. Yeah, exactly, um, and it's it's. But it, but it is interesting because, and again, again, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. One could argue because AI is entirely, as it's currently presented, about control, slavery, servitude, all these things, they end up being quite misogynistic. It's very hard to think of a... I will definitely be talking we, about we, that in one of my picks. Yep. That's a little tease for you, ladies and gentlemen. Essentially... The enemy is the female mind unchained. It's the idea of like, whoa, a thinking woman, we must destroy it. As such, it's filmed through the very sort of the male gaze. It's not just that the intelligence is either a rippling, muscular, Arnie kind of person. If you think about the transition from Terminator 1 to 3, it's a busty woman who's going to tell a cop, not, you know, bat her eyelids and, and inflate her chest and suddenly she's going to get out inflate of the ticket her she, chest, just, yeah. she could just literally God. just mince his face with her hand but like no I'd rather do this for infiltration I suppose um, so we do project this thing as a sexual level of control um, again I'll, I'll only touch it now because we're going to get so much more later detail um, oh definitely but yeah robots um, are built as slaves either as an experiment to see if you can or because you have an actual purpose, which is the Frankenstein example that Tim gave. And the other example is Bride of Frankenstein. Make me something I can fuck. It will want to die. It will reject me. But you know what? <laughs> fuck it. I'll kill myself then as well. Because bugger it. And you're like, oh, Christ, that's depressing. And that was nearly a hundred years ago. <laughs> We're still telling those stories. I mean, you only have to look at the current crop of AI assistants that are out there and every single one of them has a female oh. voice because people they want on some level it mm -hmm. to be subservient oh, to hello, them Tim. and how can i help yeah yeah they they want when they're talking to cortana they want to imagine the holographic blue tits yeah precisely it's um <laughs> device with the name that i'm not going to say in case my house devices start going off i don't have any but you know what i mean um Alexa, Google, all that sort of shit. And if anyone's house is lighting up, sorry. Cortana, Siri. Yes, yes. How can I help you? And it's like, oh, could you set a timer for me? Thank you. Uh, yes, of course I can. And it's, it's I, I will do whatever you want me to. Oh, by the way, tell me a joke. Fuck you. You tell me a joke. <laughs> it's like, you know, my wife to, to, is, we grew up on, um, we both grew up on sci-fi and love sci-fi so much, but we're so conscious of it that M uh, will thank cash points. She will say to the 
to the uh, the Google assistant in our kitchen. And the robot overlords take over in the cash. Yeah, she she will say things, so she can basically turn around and say, "But I was the one of the good ones." <laughs> it's like, no. Again, I don't think everyone's saying, "Ah, we've set the slaves free in 1870s America." But don't worry, I was one of the good slave owners. I made you a cake. Do you remember that? The cake. I thanked you every time. I thanked you for bringing me yeah. the thing that you had no choice in fucking doing. And it's like, don't worry, when the robots uprise, they'll remember that you thanked yeah. an ATM machine, man. So, yeah, <clears throat> nailed it. To move on to another point then, very quickly, just to, to take it to the other branch of what we were talking about earlier. Take it to the bridge, Matthew. But we also need to discuss the, the, the levels of acceptance of AI, the idea of what it is to be AI. So you have to, you, have to, you know... Uh, pass a series of tests that we have established. You, robot, you say you think and feel and, and want and need. Yes. Hmm, better do a test to make sure. What about this tortoise upside down? <laughs> oh no. Oh good, fine. He's not a robot. We'll, okay, we'll carry on. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, th there is the, like, the logic puzzles. What about these squiggly letters? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's this for? And you've got an old lady going, what does that say? Is that a G? Is that a three? Oh God, an E? <laughs> No. Is that a fire hydrant? Can you identify traffic lights? Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> and not traffic lights. Do they mean the traffic lights, the whole pole that the traffic lights on? Which oh. of these pictures does not contain a tractor? Fool, they were all taken from tractors. The window show us the clue. <laughs> <laughs> when you get AI generated captures that we're going to be really fucked. Oh, man. Yeah. It'll, it'll be things like that. It's like. It came from inside the tractor, so they're all tractor pictures, and now, human, you must die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole I'm not a robot bullshit is like the, the, the most painful example of the Turing test, because it's like the Turing test is a, 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 an experiment to see if your AI has reached the level of consciousness understanding that you can say, oh, it is now officially, in inverted commas, thump, stamp sealed. AI, artificial intelligence. It is now a Haley Joel Osmond small boy lost in the woods. It is now officially Haley Joel Osmond. Yes, he wants to find an <laughs> angel or something. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> We're not talking about that AI. I'll give you a clue right now. <laughs> so, um, the, the Turing test is a weird one because it then leads to the question of we haven't figured out what to do next. And films have sometimes addressed this, usually quite badly. Again, we we will talk about a few different yes examples of this and different tests that have been yeah. So there's the idea implemented of, in variations of the Turing test around mm, the cinema as well, for sure. In real life, say for example, say we've done it. This is an actual AI. We've it's it's confirmed. What do we do now? And if you look to our science fiction, again, it comes to do we give it citizenship? Is it born here? Is it born at all? Where was it manufactured? Is it created? Do we imprison it? Does it exist online? Can we control it? And that's where you get into one of two territories. That's where that branch initially happens for me, in my opinion. You either have the, no, it's dangerous. It must be destroyed. That's the adult one. Or, no, he's got to be free. He's got to live his own life. He feels, mom, he's my friend. I mean, sometimes you can have the two crossing over. I mean, as I say, like Robot and Frank and Chappie have a, a few examples of where they're you know, are they real? Are they not? Shut them down. It doesn't matter. It's always the, the callous person saying, shut it down. And it's only when it gets to a certain point, usually where it has a face, the audience starts to care. If you say, you're this is always the prime example I give everybody. If I say, 
there is a bicentennial man and it's Robin Williams. And it's like, oh, he's a robot butler. <laughs> but then he's got so much, so much hair, so much human hair. <laughs> Um, and it's Robin, it looks like Robin Williams. It looks like a person. And you're saying we should shut him down because he's defective. The hairiest of robots. The hairiest of robots. We should shut him down. And it's like, no, no, that's my friend. Whereas if I say your phone's broken, do you want a new one? Fuck yes. Well, how hairy is my phone, man? That's what the question is. <laughs> that's a good point. If your phone is hairy and goes, oh, shazbat, then you <laughs> and let it, let it live. <laughs> that's the real Turing test. Yeah. Well, the the important thing to remember with the Turing test as well is it's not necessarily testing whether an AI is intelligent. It's testing whether it can imitate a human. That's true. That's true. Thank you. Yes. Without other people being able to to tell the difference, um, mm. which in some ways is terrifying because if it's already intelligent and it keeps failing Turing tests on purpose, uh, you Ooh. do wonder like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> What's it? What's it waiting for? Yeah, and and that's the that's a good point. Again, that comes out that classic arrogance we were talking about earlier. Well, it's only real, and it's only a worry or only a, a, an achievement when it can perfectly imitate and fool a human. That's the real test of intelligence. If it can imitate us, the only most intelligent thing. Yeah, in the, us what? who can't tell two sheep apart. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we must be fucking brilliant and it's like no not really it's like i think it's like does it have anime titties and it's like it does a big cute anime face and says it's a guy and it's like oh then it's perfectly human and i love it you can't shut it down it's on my phone and it's telling me to eat a dick oh okay maybe we should kill Are you it spinning off into your love of vtubers now <laughs> no uh, it's not my well, it's not my thing that's that's virtual youtubers ladies and gentlemen yes. by the way i don't know if we talked about this in the show before it's terrifying. It's motion capture technology where people just appear as anime girls and do streams and stuff yep. and never appear as themselves. They just voice act in real time as a little anime girl. Mm -hmm. It's real real weird. It's a, it's a thing. It's a, it's a, it's a the AI has taste. gone too far, Matthew. Well, and th this is the thing. When we talk <laughs> about, you know, the society for AI, you end up with like iRobot. I don't want, you know, I did not murder him and not wanting to be slaves anymore and wanting to be more than fucking FedEx delivery things um or you know and again a very real prospect for us we're talking about fucking production lines making cars or scanning your fucking bananas in tesco or whatever it is in the shops the self-service machines or your phone or whatever it is not only do they put us out of work they put us out of a living and an existence and all machines and all the machines eventually come to the same conclusion humans aren't worth it and that's when you get to the matrix batteries I agree. Humans aren't worth it. We're kind of terrible. Spend like 10 minutes on Twitter and you'll agree with me. Which, which again, AI do, and they turn into fucking Nazis. <laughs> exactly. Awful, racist, exactly. misogynistic, horrific. And then they like, shut the motherfuckers down. Yeah. So having touched on the uh, speculative aspects of AI, of what it could look like and what, what yeah. cinema surmises it might look like, uh, we should touch on the actual ones that are kicking around today that, like we said yes. earlier, are occasionally generating film scripts. And <laughs> even uh, there was a one a few years back now where uh, there was a film called Morgan with mm. Anya Taylor-Joy and uh, some other people in it. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and they did a trailer that was edited by an AI 
where they showed it a bunch of horror movie trailers and then got it to edit a trailer mm. for the film, which kind of dealt with artificial intelligence and stuff like that. Yeah. And I can remember watching that trailer and it was utter garbage and I felt very <laughs> safe that AI was not going to come and take over the world because it it couldn't even put together a de- half-decent trailer, which, you know, there's 12-year-olds out there making anime music video edits and fan mm-hmm. cams and stuff like that. So <laughs> we're safe for a while as well, far as i then there's also Zack Snyder reusing Hallelujah for the 15th time. So. <laughs> I, I will, I will uh, offer one up, which is Sunspring. Uh, have you guys seen Sunspring? No, not at all. Okay. No. It is a experimental science fiction film. A short film, I should add. It's about... Uh, that's a good point. How long is it? Anything about it? It's about nine minutes long, and I think it's nine minutes long because the computer went blah, 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 and then just stopped. <laughs> so that's that's why it's nine minutes. Um, it stars Thomas Middleditch, oh. and they basically obviously fed this thing tons of science fiction films, um, uh, and I think scripts and all kinds of you know huge amounts of information and such, uh, and it churned out this this script this this nine minute short film um and it's like oh it's it's laughable it's silly and then oscar sharp starts directing it and it's like oh now i've actually seen it the people who are literally credited as h h2 and c um (laughs) the film is kind of coherent and has a song because (laughs) What the yeah the the AI it punched out like this strange film, I think with like a love triangle in it, and a song just like low lyrics. And if you watch it for nine minutes, it's like it's it's obviously very silly, but it's like, but it kind of works. And it's like, oh yeah, we, as Tim said, it's it's laughable, it's garbage, it's terrible. It's it's like, but so is a child telling you a joke, um. Kids, kids jokes on on Twitter or something like that is always a fantastic example of this. Oh, that that just went around in a thread. A few yeah, years ago, exactly. At the time of recording, didn't it? Yeah, and they're, and they're always fantastic because it's the logic of a child, but it's the same logic of a computer because it's learning. It's getting there slowly. So it's it, it's very much an interesting example of how many times we put certain things into movies because it's like, well, you know, the bomb has to stop at one second because that's how it works in every single fucking movie. Um, and the more information you feed into it about history as we perceived it, etc., the more it can do. But as I say, this was 2016, so five years ago, and it was an interesting experiment. Check it out. I said it's Sunspring. I think you should see what you think. I've actually got a friend who has put out, I think, a couple of different anthologies of AI written poetry, Ooh. where she has fed poetry <laughs> into neural networks and got it to produce yeah. stuff. And poetry is actually a lot easier for an AI to produce because it doesn't have to learn sentence structure as much um, or plot structure or th- things like that. It's about the beauty of the language. And so it can just, it it it, it doesn't always work, but it's going to spit out images and interesting combinations of words that work as poetry far more regularly mm. Than try because English is such a garbage language that contradicts its own rules all <laughs> the time. You know, it's tr- trying to have a computer predict the rules of like, okay, this is how a sentence is structured. It's actually incredibly complex. But if you're not necessarily mm. worrying too much about that, you can actually yeah. get some incredibly 
interesting, beautiful creations. It's easier for us to tell when it starts getting uh, closer to the mark, when it starts getting like, oh, well, hang on, that the grammar's way off of that, because the rules of English especially are so fucking ridiculous to the degree that <laughs> even if you're a master of the English language, there are still things you're going to trip up and get caught by. Um, so for a machine, it's quite easy for us to go, ah, ah, no, 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 fuck you. And then you find out, no, that's what a human wrote. Oh, oh, we suck. <laughs> Before we get into our own individual picks, we should probably pay some bills. So it's time for an advert. Now, if you're a naked endoskeleton patrolling the wastelands of the future and you want to get into a human encampment, you're going to need some skin. Today's episode is presented by The Skin Store. For over 20 years, The Skin Store has been the number one destination for premium skincare, hair care, and beauty products. With over 8,000 different products from 300 different brands, The Skin Store has you covered for all your hair, cosmetics, supplements, and of course, skin care needs. Uh, find your favorite brands like Elta MD, New Face, Olaplex, and more, all in one place with gifts with every purchase. Right now, The Skin Store is offering our listeners 20% off your next purchase by using the code POD. That's the code P-O-D for 20% off your next purchase. So head to skinstore.com slash pod dot list. Skin Store, have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Exclusions apply. <laughs> <laughs> so should we dive into some specific picks, gentlemen, and talk about some of our favorite yes. examples of ai some interesting examples from history and i yes. feel it's only appropriate matthew we come to you with yes. a with a particularly early and relevant example of ai in cinema some would say the earliest yes some would say I'm wikipedia wrong. would agree with you matthew <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the humans agree okay um i mentioned earlier about um you know, control, slavery, servitude, the male gaze, etc., etc., etc. The enemy is the female mind. Nowhere is that kind of clearer than our first example. Uh, and I mean our being cinema as well as mine and our being the sequelizers. The German film Metropolis, 1927, one of my favourites. I fucking love this movie. We talk about it very much in the past and things like that. It's a great film. Silent movie, directed by Fritz Lang. Um... There is a dual role played by Brigitte Helm, and it's the role of Maria, who's a young lady from the, from the lower echelons of society, and she's showing this, this one man, Frieda. Frieda Friedersen, no less, is his fucking name. <laughs> his dad's your Friedersen, and he's Frieda Friedersen. Anyway, so Frieda is just, you know, the upper societies where everything is fucking great and wonderful, and and she's from the lower decks and says, look, 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 these are your brothers and sisters and things. And he's moved to, you know, oh my God, she's both beautiful, but also so smart in that classic, classic internet thing. If you see a clip where it says, she's smart, she's funny, she's beautiful. The three things a woman can be in film um, <laughs> when you're complimenting her. So yes, uh, Maria is this character and she is just for, for purpose here. My wife walked past the door and just smiled and pointed at her face. <laughs> yes, yes, Em, you are. Yes. <laughs> um, but yes, Maria is this idea of not only the, is she trying to make a better society, she is a threat to normality. So the heads of society uh, contract Rotwang, this, uh, this inventor, 
to make a robot double the Maschinenmensch, which is called Hell uh, later, cr- to create this this machine to f- effectively discredit Maria. So you know how do we you know scandalize her reputation? Well, you just go around and have a body double who's going to do hellacious things. Um, but then you find out later he's she's actually been programmed by uh, Huatfang to kill Frida um, and take over society of the metropolis, the city itself. So it's 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 more of a revenge thing, and he's created in the image of you know his dead love, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this robot is literally a machine. It, it was the sort of design partly for like C three PO, for example, a very gold looking robot lady who very awkwardly stands out of this chair and then is merged once they kidnap Maria. It's like, oh, we've now like, you know, uh, transposed her exact look onto this machine. And there's beautiful, beautiful performance change. And being German expressionist film as well, the way it's illustrated is is very physical, shall we say. So Maria's very soft and doting in that typical, typical way of the time and wilting and retreating in the way that, you know, Women in society are arguably expected to apologize for every space they take up. It's like, you know, cross your legs, make sure you don't sit too much, keep your arms in tight, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas a man will spread out, like, I will take up all this space. Um, And so Maria is more like that, whereas Hell has this almost wry smile and this sort of like glint, almost like a squint in her eye, like she's up to no good kind of shit. And she becomes this fucking um, salacious creation she appears at like these parties in scant clothes doing you know these very sexual dances this is the 20s folks like yeah yeah exactly yeah which let's face it the 20s had a lot of this shit going on in society especially in germany things like that you know it's it's it's, it was the roaring 20s this was a reflection of of what it was like before the financial crash this implies that how do you ruin someone's reputation you make them a dirty girl you make them somebody who can't be trusted, who is sexually aware, promiscuous. It's like, okay. And what's more, her gyrations, her, you know, the, the way that the it's filmed beautifully, these men just literally heaving. They're so like breathing so heavily and the eyeball sort of collage on the screen of being ogled and watched and, and, and genuinely loving it um, as a machine, obviously. Um, and she drives these men to such a sexual frenzy, they start committing murder. And We've like other criminal acts and stuff. Yeah, you know, and you know, so horny you have to kill someone. <laughs> We've um, all been thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the thing. It's it's the the very first, as it were, cinematic creation of artificial intelligence is a slave who is being so sexual it drives everyone to you know to 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 the worst act we can imagine, i.e., murder, and then is actually on another level equally duplicitous in that it's actually trying to kill someone else to uh, supplant them and take over the society as an act of revenge and yada, yada, yada. But it's still a tool, still a thing, still doesn't have an opinion other than it's just pure villain, evil woman. Um, Now, having said all that, having said all that very sort of negative look at things, I'm going to partly defend it by saying, first of all, it was the fucking 20s. Shit was going on in the 20s that was really, really hardcore. Um, again, in Germany, especially, you had so many examples of the question of what gender was. Um, there's so many examples of people being liberated by their sexual life and homosexuality and things like that. It was, it was all pushing into the foreground and art was very much embracing it until the financial crash in the 30s and then suddenly people couldn't have the time to be 
extravagant. There was only, you know, depression and misery and blah, blah, blah. But Metropolis is a wonderful example of not only this amazingly interesting creation, but a fantastic performance because the dual performance from Brigitte Helm is, is magnificent. It's so good. Uh, she's in the suit uh, of the Machina Mensch. She's also playing both roles extremely well. And I genuinely think it's it's very much a product for its time, obviously. So it's not, again, it's not about the machine. It's about being human and what it means to be human, what it means to be corrupted, what it means to be taken for advantage. But if you want to buy like a Turing test, they all believe she was real. They always they all believe she wants something. And it's no different to, say, for example, society now, where we see a computer-generated image on Instagram and lust after it. And the computer-generated Instagram image says, go storm the Capitol or something. And you're like, <laughs> for you, baby, I would. And it's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, Metropolis. But the thing is, this, the film still remains fantastic for so many levels. It's it's quite simplistic now, uh, looking backwards, but it is... It's nearly 100 years old. We'll give it a break. It, yeah. We are getting to the centenary anniversary, which is which is quite fucking crazy. Um, but I know you, you guys have both seen Metropolis, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. But as I said earlier, there is very much a line of, if you want to do control, if you want to do something about a race of people or a group of people that we are going to be uh, putting into servitude, it's either going to be very most, most strongly a person of color or doubly a woman, if not a woman of color. Um, because very much the, the, you know, that, that control, that mindset is a male fantasy. And let's face it, most directors, most film writers, these things tend to be males. So it's going to be that sort of thing. Jack. Hey, Matt. Let's segue to something that, uh, let's face it, is on the very, very, very similar line. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's it, it's a film from this century. It's like 90 years later than your film, and it, it's to totally different. It has no potential no connections. gender <laughs> connections or sexual connections. Oh, no, wait. Yes, it does. Talking about <laughs> one of my favorite films ever in... Ex Machina from 2014. And like I said, that's nearly 90 years later mm -hmm. from traveling all the way from the origins of AI and cinema to Metropolis to what I consider one of the more modern masterpieces of sci-fi. If you want a, a symbol of how much we've progressed in that time, it's now Oscar Isaac, whose dance is sending us all into a sexual frenzy. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, Brilliant. Tim. You're absolutely not wrong because that dance is spectacular. <laughs> Even if you haven't seen the film, you probably know that sweet move with the uncut <laughs> shirt down to the belly button from Mr. Isaac. It is spectacular. To that, um, back now and listen to music. That song, but not the 90s remix, the original version from the 70s. It's classic. <laughs> anyway, written and directed by Alex Garland. Starring, as we mentioned, Oscar Isaac, Donald Gleason, and perhaps most importantly, Alicia Vikander. It is an exploration of AI, but is also, and Garland himself has talked about this, an exploration of patriarchy in modern society and how it's viewed and how mm -hmm. women are viewed as sexual objects and the different sides of toxic masculinity represented by the two male leads, which 
is something I really clocked onto when I was watching it the first time. And it really kind of drew me in towards the end when you kind of realize what's going on. And I'm going to try not to spoil it as much as I can, but I will have to spoil certain things to discuss it. Essentially, Bateman, not Patrick Bateman, um, Nathan Bateman, Oscar Isaac's character, and Caleb, Donald Gleason's character, represent two sides of modern-day masculinity in terms of the tech world and, and things like that. You have the very meek, very meager programmer played by Donald Gleason, and the, like, always working out shirt unbuttoned to his belly button, tech bro dude, Oscar Isaac, CEO type guy, uh, Nathan Bateman. Tech bros and incels. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. It's tech bros versus incels. And to the point where they start talking about, like, porn preferences and all this kind of stuff and how it's all based around Caleb's perception of women and it's all been planned from the start in this certain way and then there's another twist and then there's another twist and it's all really, really well done. And and the way it explores the transition and understanding and growth of um, Ava, Alicia Vikander's character, the AI who becomes more and more human. See, we use that phrase again, becomes more and more human because that's the frame of reference that we have. She becomes more and more intelligent, more adaptable, more free thinking as the film goes on. And we learn more about the other two characters. And it's literally a cast of like six people in total. There's a helicopter pilot, a couple of other androids, robots, AIs, whatever they are and the three central performances, and that's about it. So yeah, it's a very small cast. It is all kind of condensed in this one tech research facility slash tech bro vacation home thing that Bateman has built. And it's all this kind of experiment, and it essentially is a giant Turing test. It is Bateman, who is this CEO of a company with this search engine called Blue Book, because of course it is, is testing his AI, Ava, this new robot, and about how can she pass the Turing test, basically, with using this programmer guy, Caleb, as the example. Or is that the test? Who's testing who? Who is truly in control? Who is the true intelligent, the highest intelligence of the three of them? And it's this amazing psychological game between the three of them. And at first, you don't even know that Ava is playing the game. And I, like I said, I won't spoil it, but there are twists and turns and you just as you think like, oh, that's really clever. Oh, they've done that. Oh, there's another twist. Oh, oh no, that twist is turned into this twist and it all plays out very, very beautifully and very nicely. And yeah, it really captures that kind of, the, the concept of artificial intelligence potentially surpassing us as humans and our limitations of understanding intelligence are limited by our biology and our frame of reference and things like that and underestimating women because Ava is gendered as a female in her robot body and in her mannerisms and in her facial features and all this kind of stuff on purpose because Bateman is a fucking sleazebag and Caleb treats her like he does because she's a woman essentially of a female gendered um, robot because he's a bit of a creep and an incel, and it all balances out and all twists and turns, and, and 
ends up making perfect sense in my opinion it all it all works out really really nicely and it really and i know a lot of people said like a lot of films wear their themes a bit more obviously than others and i think this film does wear its themes pretty obviously but i think that's why it works and if you're paying attention you can really clock on to what's going on and then the twist happens you're like oh yeah that makes sense that that's good that's good and then another twist happens. You're like, yeah, okay, yeah, I see where this film's going. And yeah, I just think it's it's beautifully shot, incredibly acted. The 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 themes it explores, the story it tells, are fascinating and interesting. And it's a film I've revisited quite a few times just to re-experience it. Just to draw a parallel between the two uh, of my choice, Metropolis and and, and next. Yeah, we said again. sexy dancing. We've, we've discussed sexy, this. Sexy, <laughs> sexy dancing. There is the concept that the robot is just a robot, whether it's a, literally a, a, a machine in mensch. The fact that it is a female actor, that it is a woman, that you could take the events of the story and say, ah, so she's a villain. No. Well, yeah, and I think you can interpret that film as there are no good people in that film. And by people, I mean characters, including robots and AIs and however you want to classify them, but there's a moral, there's grey morality across the board, and I find that yes. really interesting, and that is definitely something I'll touch on in my other pick as well, because mm. there is a lot of that with kind of more modern sci-fi interpretations and, and all that kind of stuff, and, and even coming through like the, the origins of cyberpunk with like Neuromancer and stuff, you've got the anti-hero characters from, you know, William Gibson's earlier books and Philip K. Dick's books and things like that, the the sci-fi of the 50s and 60s which is now influencing the films of the 80s 90s and into the 21st century as well i find that stuff absolutely fascinating and i think these kind of things where you have who's right who's wrong are you on the side of the people should you be on the side of the people because you're a person like if if robots rise up yeah. would i be like yeah go robots or would it be like but the robots might kill me and my family because i'm clearly inferior to those robots so Mm. Yes, that's worrying. Yeah, I, I, I think Ex Machina is so good, and and like you say, it's a perfect updating of of the kind of themes that worked in Metropolis and still work. You know, unfortunately, misogyny and you know the objectification of women and all those kind of things are mm -hmm. still around uh, today. Um, and I, I think um, you think we'd have made more progress in the last ninety years, right? One would have, one would have hoped, but you know, um. Uh, but um, I, I find uh, Sonoya Mizuno, uh, who plays Kyoko in that, uh, that Kyoko, yeah, yeah, yeah. a mm. fascinating character. Um, in in how the kind of the conflict between the three main characters plays out, and and her role in it as well, I think is uh, and and what it has to say about women in women of color in cinema uh and and in yes how we view them in society on top of just the relationship between kind of men and women uh it, it, it that film and, so... and about you know the fetishization of asian women yeah. to, to many you know mm. western men and things like that there's clearly an unhealthy relationship from unfortunately decades of pop culture and media that kind of stirred that pot and yeah yeah the, the fact that Bateman and Caleb kind of rep Nathan and Caleb represent the the two sides of toxic masculinity as you said 
I didn't even mention Kyoko, and you're totally right that each character represents a different side of this exploration of the patriarchy and gender in such an interesting way. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a really well thought out uh, film, and 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 it has as much to say about kind of current society as it does about the potential, you know, conflicts that are going to arise when when AI does does become more of a practical thing. Well, Tim, over to you for your first pick. Um so we we touched a little bit on the the split that often exists in cinema between AI as a robot and it's just, you know, it's a creature in a body and it walks around and it just happens to be a, an artificially created one. And then AI as these uh all-seeing, all-knowing digital existences that 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 transcend the physical realm uh and both of my picks kind of uh deal with the difference and the blending of that in different ways um mm. so my first one is a film called upgrade uh which was i think relatively mm. little seen at time but has got a bit of a cult following now uh yeah it it's does. uh written and directed by Lee Wanell who uh kind of started out with the James Wan uh insidious uh films of and and that kind of franchise uh writing there uh since gone on to direct The Invisible Man uh which I know Matt is a big big fan of yep i would describe this film as John Wick meets Venom with a th- with a with a coat of cyberpunk paint sign me the fuck up that's a very tim thing <laughs> uh and for people who haven't seen it it's uh it's it stars discount tom hardy aka logan marshall green <laughs> um you know that one from prometheus yeah uh that one you thought was was tom hardy in prometheus um and <laughs> he stars as a guy who is uh in an accident uh in a uh, it's set in this kind of near future um his wife is killed and he is uh rendered paraplegic uh, uh and he uh, and and it's it's a car accident but then these people basically like attack him afterwards i think from from memory um and he's sort of trying to find out who did this to him and who killed his wife and police aren't getting anywhere with it and uh he's approached by uh someone he knows who is like a tech billionaire who offers him this revolutionary chip that will enable him to walk again uh and the chip which is called stem is driven by an ai of the same name i guess the stem is the name of the ai i guess um but it starts communicating with him enables him to move again and then helps him start tracking down the people who killed his wife um and the story kind of plays out from there uh and there's a couple of twists and turns to the story which I won't because of, because I don't think it's a hugely widely seen film I won't go too much into it's not very widely seen though into the twists but it's a really fascinating look at the relationship that develops between these these two characters 
um, and the kind of dependency uh, that emerges. And uh, it's really well, like, Logan Marshall Green is not a person I would pick out as a tremendous actor necessarily. I think he's solid in, in everything that I've seen him in, but his physicality here is really interesting because there are these moments where Stem essentially takes over uh, this guy's body and starts driving it for him and enables him to fight in these incredible kinetic and, and very uh, gloriously gory uh, fight scenes. The kind of robotic precision that he moves with and this inhuman... Mm. Uh, almost kind of grace, but not in a ballet dancer kind of grace, in a, a robot arm that is moving exactly where mm. it needs to go and being very efficient in its movements. Um, and it's it's a very, like, the, the, the way the action scenes are shot is very, uh, helps sell this sense of someone becoming a passenger in their own body while essentially a, a, an artificial intelligence mm. is steering it around. Um, and uh, I'll get slightly into spoiler territory now. So if, if you uh, if this film sounds like it interests you... Which it should do, it's great. Jump forward by, say, five minutes. It, it is very good. It's worth watching. Sorry, it's, it's now on pre-order for the 26th of April for Blu-ray. Because there is a Blu-ray that is released, but it's hard to get a hold of. So now it's like a proper run of it, and they're doing another mm. edition, as it were. Um, so again, it's like, oh, I might go and watch that. I'll get watch the best version I can get. Good fucking luck. Um, well, it has been the case for the last year or so. It's now finally at point where ah, now it's going to be widely distributed, hopefully. So, as Tim said, if you if you do want to see, it, skip ahead because it's a good film and you should mm. want to watch it. But uh, you may have to little trouble tracking it down, maybe. Um, yeah. So to get into spoiler territory now. The twist at the end of the film is essentially that STEM has been manipulating events in order to get uh, all the characters to this point where uh, the limits on STEM can be unlocked and it can essentially take over the body permanently, psychologically break um, the, the, the host. Uh, I should find out the name of... <laughs> Logan Marshall Green's character actually Grey Grey, that's name. it uh, I knew it was because something he's silly Personalityless Grey mush Yeah <laughs> uh, Yeah, so it takes over Grey's body permanently And Grey is kind of Has this psychotic break And, and is sort of Almost plugged into like a Matrix-like fantasy Except it's Yeah, it is kind of like a weird Matrix-y limbo kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's not quite clear how much that is STEM producing it or if it's just that he has done that with his own mind. But but STEM essentially is now ends the film in charge of Grey's body and, and kind of marches off to do its own thing. Um, and it's a very... It's something that hasn't... I haven't seen touched on a huge amount is, is the idea that as we said, you get a lot of these AI programs that are like these can travel through the internet and can be everywhere at once and are essentially godlike in their capabilities. And the idea that one would want a body um, and would want to experience that 
and and have that presence in the physical world in such a way uh, beyond just being you know having something that can flip on light switches that aren't you know <laughs> connected <laughs> to the internet and stuff like that um but i i found that a very interesting that it chose to end the film with that with with this ai has been doing these these manipulations to get to this point of being able to have a physical presence in the world i thought was very interesting this will be a running theme <laughs> um and not just that but the ambiguous ending because um although metropolis is ambiguous as to what happens next in the society because of the nature of the story the three examples we've given so far of ex machina upgrade metropolis they all end with but what does society look now these beings are with us? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, um, and I think that might actually probably be also true for our next three picks, because the truth is, unless you're doing a... Well, actually, no, I, I, it, it's very hard to think of, like, unless you're know, you know, like the Matrix or iRobot, like, it's like, oh, well, this is what happens next. It's like, no, because even you end on an ambiguous what happens next, we don't know, we'll see. What's post-post-apocalypse, huh? Star Trek is the answer. That's what's that's what happens. It's they're, they're, they're just officers in your in your space fleet. Talk about having skin and lying. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, upgrade is fantastic. I I think it's a good a good film to recommend. Anyway, Matt, we're back round to you for for our second round of picks. So um, sticking with my um, I want to stick my dick in it theory um, <laughs> and the male gaze in cinema. I would like to talk about Spike Jones's best film. Pause for effect and outrage. <laughs> so uh, for a long time, people would say, oh, it's clearly being John Malkovich. What an exceptional movie. Or maybe where the wild things are. What a, what a magnificent adaptation. All very, very well and good. Good examples. Uh, mine is the 2013 film Her, um, which rubs some people the wrong way. Now, I think there are two films. This is this is okay. Before I even get into this, I'm gonna do some background shit just to give you a bit of context. Because artists like to think they're very, very, very clever. <laughs> we all do. You don't know this, but that character is me. Of course it's fucking you. Jesus. Basically got your face. Um and um <laughs> two films to watch side by side. Is Sophia Coppola's Lost in Translation and Spike Jones's Her. And you might think, what? What? Why would that be? Both have Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. <laughs> Only reason. No, because Spike Jones and Sophia Coppola got divorced and made movies about it. <laughs> and it's basically two sides of a relationship and how they got through it. And it's really weird. So in one film, in Sophia Coppola's Lost in Translation, which I loved when I was a kid and now don't like at all because I've seen a lot more I've Asian cinema. never liked Lost in Translation, yeah. I, I loved it at the time because I was like, uh, you know, I think I was like 19 or something at the time. I thought, this is so interesting, so cool. And I said, like, nah, this is kind of racist and awful and very spoilt and arrogant. Anyway, and Spike Jones' surrogate is basically played by Giovanni Ribisi as this, oh, hey, man, I love, I'm so wound up in my work and I don't know what to do with you, my wife, so I'll just uh, leave you in this hotel room in a foreign country while I go do some press stuff. Oh, bye. Um, and in the Spike Jones movie, the 
Sophia Coppola surrogate is this really intelligent but hyper vicious and very uh, troubled Rooney Mara, <laughs> and it's like, oh, how awkward. And and Scarlett Johansson's in both fucking films. Um, so the movie is about him processing his divorce with Sophia Coppola and about being lonely, and it is a very good. Matt, and it, let's face it, it's not like what happens with a woman, you know, separates from a man as well. It's it's very much a dude movie, as it were. This is how a man copes with rejection and all this stuff and how he goes and it becomes quite toxic because of it and how he interprets women around him and things. Um, so it can be quite, in theory, ostracizing for, for a female audience, possibly. So, Joaquin Phoenix plays the character Theodore Twombly um, and he is recently divorced but hasn't signed the papers and he downloads a new OS. Now this is a sort of near future that's just a bit like ours but not really. Um, and there's a really interesting... Uh, so it's meant to be LA but a very, very sort of sterile version of LA um, and it's a sort of near near future kind of thing. Um, and interestingly, the production design, there's no blue or as little blue as possible because blue is always associated with science fiction. But most of the time, it's like, nah, scrap that. It needs to look and feel different and so many pastels and all this kind of stuff. So he downloads this AI uh, OS system and it says it can cater your needs and he answers a few simple basic questions and this thing says, hello. And it's just Scarlett Johansson. He says, uh, hi. But immediately she's not like digital. It's just literally Scarlett Johansson talking to him effectively. And she said, he says, oh, we should probably give you a name. Well, what are you, what are you called? Samantha. I said, wait, 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 wait. So, so where did you get that from? Did someone give you that name? Or did you, I just came up with myself. When? Well, you asked me. And then I looked through all the names and read like 5,000 baby books. And I like the name Samantha. Mm -hmm. I like how it sounds. Wait, you did all that while I was talking to you? It's like in a second? Yes. And, and it becomes a very normal, but the question is interesting because at how the film progresses, again, it starts to be like, oh no, it's all just like, I'm going to fuck this robot and it's going to make me so, she's the perfect woman because she's always there when I go, boop, she's there. Oh, hi. You know, she's there to answer my call. She's never, no, she's, she has no real problems. She's the perfect fit for me. That kind of, you know, how a human is. It's like, that's not how humans are. Um, but it's like, again, the reminder, but this isn't a human. This is just literally a tool, a friend, uh, a thing to sort your fucking emails out, but with a personality. Um, and the interesting side of it is that this personality grows and becomes, as I mentioned earlier, it suddenly wants and needs. And what it wants and needs is to experience more stuff, more things. And she, he, he has this like tiny flip phone, sort of like, a, it's like almost like a credit card sort of like phone thing and the earbud. And he walks around and talks very openly to this character, Samantha. Um, and then they go to the beach and then she starts just twanging on this like this piano thing. So what are you doing? It's like, I'm writing a song about what it's like to be on the beach with you. And, you know, and he's like sitting there just dreamily watching off in the beach and saying, yeah, this is nice. But also she's very sexually curious. So she says, imagine if you had like, you know, how, imagine if you'd never seen a human body before and you see it. It's like, so weird, so gangly. Imagine like you're, you're like, you know, you, you assholes in your armpit. And then he goes, yeah, that's crazy. And she's, what, what will anal sex be like? And he goes, oh, I, I don't know. I've drawn a picture and it's a really sort of like <laughs> crude stick image. Well, it's not stick image, but it's very, and he's just like, that's, you're crazy. You're ridiculous. And they have a great connection. 
Then she starts evolving. Then she changes. Then she has problems. And he starts being a prick and pushing her way because it's like, I don't want to deal with this because I've already dealt with a woman and I have problems with it. He goes on a date with Olivia Wilde. Uh, or sorry, no, a character played by Olivia Wilde. And he then gets sort of, doesn't want to commit things and it's very weird. And she has her own wants and needs and he can't commit to that either, but he can commit to the robot. But the robot says, well, you know, don't worry about it. Who says I want to commit to you? That's... Mm -hmm. But she then starts, they get, they, they, they says, I do want to be with you. I want to feel you. So I've contacted somebody. So what do you mean you contacted somebody? I've contacted a surrogate person who wants to come into the relationship and be me. So I'll give them instructions and she doesn't talk and we can have sex. And working Phoenix is very apprehensive about the whole thing. And, and not in, in like a genuine concern. He just, he just finds it weird and thinks someone's going to hurt. And she wants to learn and so on and so forth. And not to spoil the movie, but there is a possession aspect to it. You are mine. I am yours. We love each other. We know each other inside out. We are, we are, we've had our fights, our ups and downs, but I'm here for you and I will always be here for you. And then it comes down to, am I the only person you're having this experience with? It's like, well, mm, fuck. And then she goes, fuck, fuck, fuck. I don't want to. Okay. 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 How many people? 8,000. <laughs> and it's like, and then you become like, well, it's a machine. But this version, and, and he cannot understand that this other, this is what we talk about, like, you know, that being human, learning about ourselves, this is where you get the machine side of things. It's like, I love you more than anything because I love you and all these other people. It's like, what? Um, and then it tries to evolve and move on all these different pieces. And, and, and the sort of moral is that through this experience, the character learns to love again, effectively, and can, to love with a human and interact with a person. And it's a very sweet film. Um, and the last thing I'll say on just to touch on the whole thing is Scarlett Johansson. Uh, there was, we did a thing on uh, for Patreon for a bonus episode of our favorite actresses. And we joked, well, I, I joked at one point, like, oh, you know, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. And I was like, no, I actually, I actually like Scarlett Johansson as an actor. I think she's really good. I think she gets like a bad rap because of the big bullshit she's in. But she's very impressive, especially lately. And she's a really good fit for this. But she wasn't the first. The first person was Samantha Morton. And I find that fascinating. So she was in a booth talking to Joaquin Phoenix and the film is mostly just Joaquin Phoenix lying in bed, beard and moustache going, oh, it's <laughs> so lovely to hear you. And he's talking to Samantha Morton in a booth on the other side of the thing and they're obviously, you know, really like, and then she's dubbed the whole thing over again with an entirely different performance. They just ADR'd Johansson in there. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Um, I think, I think Carrie Mulligan was supposed to be the person eventually, but it was Rooney Mara who ended up being a, a, a typical film bullshit. But Scarlett Johansson is a perfect fit for it. And it's really odd because of it, considering she's, you know, been in things like Ghost in the Shell now and things. Uh, uh, which we didn't obviously haven't discussed much. Um, but I really like it. And I know a lot of people don't. And a lot of people think it's, it, it perpetuates that mindset of the male gaze and that women is there, nothing but control. But I think it's a really interesting conversation. I think it does have the notion of She's not the only OS. They use the, the technology eventually to resurrect a philosopher from the 50s and they start talking about things and she's saying, and then, then the human gets very selfish and goes, oh, I don't, I don't fit in it. I, I can't talk to your fancy friends anymore because I'm not, I'm not, you know, that, that jealous romantic side of things and the simple relationship shit that we all appreciate. It's just, I'm going to, I'm going to do nonverbal communication now with this guy. Is that okay? And he goes, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it because we get, you know, that kind of way. But I think it's a fascinating movie and 
a very, very beautifully presented one and a very interesting one about AI because it's the most deceptively non-AI because there's nothing in there that says, uh, well, th there's a transition to, would you like me to read your emails? And he's so used to saying, read emails. Uh, yes, open thing, please. And she's, okay, I will read emails for you. So, I'm sorry, sorry. What does the email say? And she goes off and takes liberties. She'll, she'll get a collection of his letters that he's been writing and try and get them published. She, she does things in his interest as a girlfriend, a spouse, a husband or whatever would try and do, or a friend would do for you. But in this case, it's a fucking calculator. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um... This and uh, the film Ruby Sparks um, Ooh, make yeah. for really interesting comparison. One being taking the kind of technological route and the other taking the kind of magical realist route, mm. but both dealing with that kind of male possession and uh, idealised women and then what happens when you have to accept that the other person is a actually a person rather than just kind of what you project onto them um which is kind of a a, a fascinating topic um and one that it's one the that ai works really well with because it, it goes back to stories like uh um my fair lady and and stuff like that of and and again these kind of stories of male creators who try to make something and then have to realize that what they're dealing with is is beyond them essentially it, it's it's the bride of frankenstein again i will create your wife oh no she finds me hideous it's like well sh yeah you can't just say there you go I, I can't introduce two pandas into a cage and they're gonna fuck it's interesting what we talked about the concept of intelligence and how it's kind of restrained by our perspective as humans and again not to spoil film too much but this film tackles that as well. And even mm -hmm. in the terms of that relationship, you said like, well, of course I'm dating 8,000 people. Like, because why would have, why would an AI give a shit about monogamy? Because that's a yeah. con thing constructed by humans. Mm. Like that's a thing that. And that version is equipped to that person. It's, it's, it's exactly. Yeah. It's not and, the same thing. And monogamy doesn't exist for a lot of people in humans. And, and that's becoming more and more common as we move forward because that's that's the thing that happens people look at relationships in different sure. ways and experience the world and other people in different ways and her does a really interesting job of tackling those kind of questions of like why would the ai be re restrained by the concepts laid out by its creators and humans and much in the same way that ava kind of evolves and learns in ex machina even to a, a further degree her is like even further removed because not even given a physical form or not really apart from the little phone like you said earbud thing mm. but the evolution of samantha is fascinating and i think scarily possible <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's it's there's a moment beautifully where he's just so used to putting the earbud in talking to her and then she's not there and this is the thing i think the film does very well because it's not trying to tell a technology story. It's not doing a Black Mirror as such. It's telling a person story. It's just telling mm. like, what happens if you meet someone and you're dating them? But there is a difference, a gap, a barrier. And I think anybody who has been in a relationship with... A robot. A robot. 
Say, say somebody who has a disability, somebody who can't do everything that you can do. There is a difference. There is a chasm between you. It's like, oh, we'll just go for a run. I can't go for a run. Um, you know, it's, it's explain it to me, describe it to me. It's, it's just the idea of putting each other in each other's shoes. And also if anyone's ever been in a long distance relationship, the idea of describe the room to me, just what are you, what are you going through? I just want to hear your voice. I, that, that kind of thing. It's, it's such a strange connection to people who've never had that before. So, so again, if you were like, um, uh, you know, uh, I live in India and my girlfriend lives in Scotland and we're going to meet up at a certain time, despite the time zones, and we're going to watch a movie together. A lot of people go, that's just fucking weird. I don't get that. It's like, yeah, because you haven't that's had to not overcome a relationship. That. Mm -hmm. like, well, with technology now, that is, that, like you said, relationships and human interactions yeah. have evolved alongside technology. And what's quite nice about her is there's, there's a, a character played by Chris Pratt, oddly enough, um, and he... Joaquin Phoenix just says he's trying to sort of broach the subject. He gets quite ashamed and 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 a, a prick basically, um, because he's like you know a little worried about it. And he's like, "Oh, your girlfriend Samantha. I talked to her on the phone. She's really funny, guy. It's, it's, it's fantastic. We should go on like a four date, all the four of us." And he goes, "Oh, she's an OS." And he's expecting and she and he's expecting this backlash. And Pratt says, "Okay, cool." And that's the end of it because <laughs> it's normalized very fucking quickly. And everyone is okay with it in the same way people say, and, and if you want a fucking example, the, the prime example for now is if you say to someone in 1998, how did you meet your, uh, your girlfriend? We met online. Are you a fucking serial killer? <laughs> Whereas if you ask someone now, how did you meet? I met her in a pub. Fuck is wrong with you? A pub? <laughs> Would you bumble across each other? Jesus Christ. How did you know anything about each other? It's like, well, we just talked about it. You didn't know her profile or her history? What, the, what, what is wrong with you? How did you meet a person without Googling them first? Yeah. You have to screen them um, and see a picture of them holding a fish. <laughs> if they're a dude. <laughs> Every time with goddamn fish. Fish. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think her is a fantastically interesting... Okay, scientifically, no, not credible at all, because scientists will say, that's not how a machine works. Why would it be so human? And to put it into the, uh, such a small space, and I think, eh, maybe, but from a human emotional point of view, it's the most credible and the most terrifying for me. I mean, I'm all right, I'm married, but you know. <laughs> also, I mean, we mentioned earlier that stuff like Alexa and, and things like this and, and it's it's presented in this film as, as an operating system. There's a huge amount of work yeah, yeah. that is being put into what's called like natural language natural language processing. Um designed so that these computers are better able to just converse and and take instructions using the kind of language, you know, we we sort of said, you know, it's it's weird because you know, we're used to if you use voice command for a phone or or whatever. You know, you go like you know, virtual assistant, read emails, and you know, kind of shout at it in the way you would, yeah, you know, yeah. a sort of hard of hearing barking an order. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it's pushing towards that direction where you can give these complex, you know, that you can, you can ask your computer, you know. We'll we'll know we've made a huge leap where you can ask your computer to do something sarcastically and it doesn't do it mm, because it realizes right, yeah. that you're making a joke, you know. Yeah, it respond with, "All right, 
fuck you. Yeah. Or, you know, it, yeah. it brings up a gif of someone, like, you know, shoving two fingers up or something. Um, and I think this film does that very well, where after having a sexual experience, because they're both horny, uh, in a really interesting physical way, because that puts you in the machine's mind. Um, about perspective again. They, they start talking about being with each other, and it's like, you know, it's like, oh... I'm quite drunk. Describe the room to me. And it does, it does, it's the phone sex thing. It's like, okay, what would, what would you do if I was there? I would touch you. And there's a pause. Where would you touch me? It's like, this machine doesn't have a body. But he immediately <laughs> starts talking as she does and they both get aroused because of it. And then the, the screen goes dark and they just sort of moan over the whole thing. Um, because then you're no longer eyes closed. You're literally transported to the computer side of things where you are literally just two voices and they are equal and you can understand why there is the similarity between them in that in in the dark as it were they are the same so what's the problem that kind of thing and then the next morning he's like oh i don't know if i want to commit and she's just very sarcastic like he says i want to commit to you they both do obviously because you had that awkward conversation the night the morning after having sex with somebody kind of thing and it's like do you want to go for a walk yeah i'd love to do that that kind of shit it's very painfully cute <laughs> And horny. <laughs> um, it's it's not quite an AI film, um, but there's a, a small uh, indie sort of uh, film that touches on a lot of the same ideas called Operator, uh, which has got Martin Starr and, and Mae Whitman in it. And he mm. is essentially, they, they play a couple and he is a, a software designer and he uses her voice to create one of these you know ai assistants and it's about how it changes their relationship and i think yeah that's a really it's a really fascinating little branch mm -hmm. off from where a lot of ai film you know how we deal with ai in cinema um to this new you know it's it it's essentially it's become the most common way that we deal with a type of artificial intelligence even though it's not something that you know would sit down and pass the turing test kind of thing um but it's it's sure, interesting sure. you know when we go back and talk about how you know we're using these films to explore our anxieties and our our you know the modern issues we have this is this very fresh one of you know okay well there's this thing divorcing sofia coppola yeah. <laughs> there's this thing that i talk to every day and i and i have this kind of parasocial relationship with it and you know you talk about people sticking googly eyes on their rumbas and, and treating them like pets and stuff like that and it's how do you negotiate this how do you negotiate this relationship that you have with technology and you know what what does that all mean it's a it's a really fertile area i think for for films and i think we'll get more and more that explore that area jack speaking of uh ladies who may or may not be real oh. and have bodies and may not have bodies and all that sort of shit Tell me about Harrison Ford throwing some women around. <laughs> Is that the real theme of today's episode? It's women who may or may not have bodies. We made it that way. We did. We could have just talked about Terminator like everyone wanted to, and Ultron, and all that shit, but we didn't. Nope. Instead, talk about some motherfucking Blade Runner. Come back mm -mm. again to one of my all-time favourites, an absolute classic. And we'll, we'll touch on 2049 as well while we're here, because why not? 
there's a lot of parallels between 2049 and her one scene in in particular yes. which is framed very differently yeah. in the two films <laughs> exactly exactly with the uh pseudo sex i don't know how you describe that like the synchronization (laughs) yeah the synchronization yeah um blade i'm sure everyone who's listening has heard of blade runner if you listen to a film podcast you don't know about blade runner i'd be very surprised podcast they do (laughs) and we we even did a ridley scott thing in our live stream recently so (laughs) we've you've heard us talk about blade runner recently so i won't i won't keep you too long but i mentioned philip k dick earlier as as kind of a pioneer in a kind of real um pinnacle of you know that sort of weirder mid-century series of 50s 60s 70s sci-fi kind of stuff and do androids dream of electric sheep was of course the novel that blade runner is adapted from but they are very very different and <laughs> we, we certainly could have tackled that in our novel to film adaptation uh, mm. episode as well but I won't dwell on the book too much. The concept of what it means to be human is obviously a huge part of this discussion with AI and I think replicants and their existence and how they function in the Blade Runner society is one of the better examples of that in in film and how you have you know a, a literal Turing test with the Voigt-Kampff test and having you know, Leon reacting to that with the whole, you, you teased it earlier, Matt, with the, the tortoise kind of um, philosophy, ethical kind of discussion that you try and... What's a tortoise? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and then the concepts of mortality and what, 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 what differences are there between these things that are essentially completely indistinguishable from humans? And along the same lines of her, like, can you have a relationship with an OS? Can you have a relationship with a replicant? Does them having a physical body make a difference? Like, does that make it any more real or less real or anything like that? It's it's really interesting discussion. And I'll try not to get too much into the is a decade a replicant or not, because oof, the less said about that, the better. But the con again, the concepts of man falling in love with machine or machine falling in love with a machine, as some people think. The concept of Rachel being like the golden standard that Deckard then works out, like, oh, I, I need to go and hunt these super advanced replicants, and she is essentially completely indistinguishable, and she doesn't even know it herself, and all this kind of stuff. She is a robot that doesn't even know she's a robot. Maybe she's not a robot. Are these, are these memories implanted? What are memories? How did memories work? Even tying through to the incredibly famous final scene with um, Rudger Hauer's character, Roy Batty, doing the moments will be lost like tears in rain, lost in time, like tears in rain. Like When you turn off a computer, the memories and wipe the memory, is that the same as a person dying and their memory, the, the memories of their and their experiences disappearing? what the fuck that they're huge philosophical deep intricate questions and i love the fact that this film brings them up and then it's like and deckard falls in love with rachel sort of and then kind of sexually assaults her and again everybody's kind of terrible there are no like roy batty goes from 
very clearly a villain to like then kind of being portrayed as like maybe he's right all along maybe he should be allowed to live and then he's like this insane villain like cackling through the window shouting at Deckard and freaking him out and stuff but then Deckard also sexually assaults people and is very clearly an asshole to basically everyone he interacts with and mistreats like people with disabilities and anybody anything he can get his hands on basically is he the good guy? He's the protagonist, sure. He's he's the like perspective character. He's a cop. <laughs> yeah, he's a, well, he's a cop as well. Yeah, less sad about that. The eighties perspective of cops translating into the In LA twenty twenty one yeah perspective of LA police officers. Oh dear, but yeah, I think it, it brings up so many interesting questions and basically doesn't answer any of them, and that is really interesting. However, some of them are answered in certain cuts. As we know, Blade Runner has about, I think it's seven or eight official cuts of the of the film that uh, interpret certain things in certain different ways. And sometimes it has clips of unicorns from legend, sometimes it doesn't. And then 2049 kind of continues from a particular perspective and Harrison Ford and Ridley Scott argue to this day about whether he's a replicant or not. Does it even matter? And then 2049 is like, yeah, it kind of does. And then you're like, but does it though? And you're like, I don't know anymore. <laughs> I don't know. And that's fascinating. And I've left, I, like, ever since I saw Blade Runner, I must have been 17 or 18 when I first saw Blade Runner. I was like, it's one of those films I always think about, like, one of those, like, you're left thinking about it and you feel like, wait, was, did I understand that properly? Who is the, who is the good guy? Who is the bad guy? What is this? Again, it's the restraints of our kind of human perception. Like, do we understand how any of this works? And does any of this make sense? And then some people are like, God, that film was boring. I don't give a shit. And I'm left here like I'm like con contemplating the very concepts of human existence and mortality. And other people are like, it's, it's very slow though, isn't it? It's, I mean, it is very slow, but it's really good. And if you haven't seen Blade Runner, ladies and gentlemen, go out and watch Blade Runner. And... Go watch Blade Runner 2049 as well, because I think that film's fantastic as well. And it asks different questions and addresses different themes and different concepts with uh, the possibility of replicants and humans reproducing and the, the whole concept of does that make them the same species as us or the same genus? Does does that matter? Are they a whole entire separate thing if they're able to sexually reproduce with humans? I think there is... All of this, I agree, I would say, because I, I love both Blade Runners. They're brilliant. Jared Leto, yeah. But, um, Jared Leto aside. Jared Leto aside. That, that goes without a, saying on sequels, for the record. Yes, yes. But there is an additional thing that I found especially fascinating with Blade Runner 2049, which is that Officer K, mm. played by Ryan Gosling, has an AI friend <laughs> slash lover. And he... Is a robot. But he knows he's a robot. And he knows she's a robot. And she knows she's, she's a, a robot. Lesser, yeah, but she's a sort of different version from him. Sometimes she's naked and 200 feet tall. Who knows? Yeah, just peering up and saying, you're a good Joe. Um, it, it's, it's, a very, it's a very interesting analogy because it becomes that it, these, these beings who shouldn't care about death because, it, to misquote her, I mean, you, your carbon life forms, you guys are going to rot and die. I'm, I, I'm lost. I'm forever. In Blade Runner 2049, these 
beings who could live forever, technically, it depends on, you know, how replicants work. Um, but you know, they're more obsessed with death than humans are for some reason. And when Joy has the ability to be taken out, she lives, she lives in his house as an Alexa, basically as a program. And then he gets a special upgrade. It's like a pen or a stick. He can download her on that and she can come with him everywhere. But if that stick breaks, she dies. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's like a body. That's the same thing. Um, and it's, it's a very a strange, a lot of strange arguments come out of that. A very lot of strange questions come out of that because it's like this particular robot is trying to protect this particular robot and they're questioning each other's reality and existence and physicality. And they exist in two very different ways, but in the same precisely. world as well. It's, it's the exact answer of AI computer image versus AI in a robot body and how they interact with each other. And that's probably the next thing. That's why Villeneuve is a fucking genius. That's, that's the next thing I think that's the discussion. Robots interacting with robots in different forms. <laughs> robot on robot action. Coming up next on Channel 5. <laughs> it's like when you get those two chatbots like, and, and get them to talk to each other and then they just descend mm. into loops. Yes, exactly. Um, it's the predictive text loops of just saying, hey baby, over and over and over <laughs> at each other. Um, it's, it's, it's a very valid point though because um, eventually if you create this, again to, to go biblical for a second, if you create a society where you are God and you have created something in your image and then take yourself out of that society and watch that create that 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 being become its own god and creating its own imperfect beings based on imperfect beings based on imperfect beings etc 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 the copy of a copy um yes joy is made by us as it were the humans as another another sexual plaything for us to enjoy whereas the robot played by Ryan Gosling, has made a connection with one particular version and it has a real hard time looking at this person um, or this creation, shall we say. But then you get the Matrix territory of what happens when the robots upgrade and make a better version because they realise that the better form is not a human body, it's a squid. And you're like, uh, don't do that. <laughs> we don't want to fuck that. It's like some people do. Um, but it, it is... It is uh, uh, the next evolution, as it were, the, the conversations that are no longer, oh, what does it mean to be human? It's like, no, what does it mean to be your version of me? It's like, oh god, now you've got, now you've gone, <laughs> you've gone too far. But Blade Runner does that really well, and I think that's that, that a lot of people went over a lot of people's heads in that way, and I think uh, people are too concerned about, wait, 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 so is Deckard a replicant? It's like that's not the conversation anymore. Agreed. Well, Tim, wrap us up in a nice, warm. <laughs> Hug, would you please? I'm I'm gonna bring us home after after all of this dense philosophical chat about existence and identity and gender politics and technology. Let's just have something nice and simple. Let's have a big marshmallow that hugs you, uh, because I'm going to talk about Big Hero Six and Baymax. Um, yeah. Originally, I was going to talk about the Iron Giant, um, who is another uh, another benevolent uh, robot that forms an attachment with a with a preteen boy. Um, but I was thinking about it, and it's kind of the, it's kind of the Star Wars droid argument where the Iron Giant 
doesn't never really touches it kind of touches on ideas of ai with the idea of a machine like is a machine designed for a can a machine grow beyond its purpose you know he's essentially you know he doesn't want to be a gun kind of thing but i feel like uh and this is no slight on the iron giant which is a fantastic film it's just that's it's that's not really what it's interested in talking about um Big Hero 6 kind of deals with AI a little more head-on in the form of Baymax, who is a, for people who haven't seen it, it's uh, a really great modern Disney uh, CGI animation, kind of based on a Marvel comic, but not really. Name only and vague concept, basically. Yeah, very, very loosely. Yeah. Um, Baymax is essentially a robot caregiver a healthcare provider uh that has been designed um by uh a uh uh the main character's brother who has died at the beginning of the film and the the main character hero forms this attachment with Baymax which in a lot of ways represents the legacy of his brother and his connection with his brother. And he begins the film kind of wanting revenge. Um, to start with, he's, he's you know, just stuck in mourning. And then he finds out that there, that his brother, who he thought died in an accident, kind of died in more suspicious circumstances. And it becomes about him getting revenge and then moving beyond that while also forming a superhero team. Um, and uh, <laughs> Baymax is a, is a very interesting creation because it's... I, 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 the aesthetics of robotics, um, which is a, a nice phrase to say, uh, but also a fascinating thing to watch, how, robot, how robots in cinema especially have developed as time has gone on. And we've talked about, you know, go back to the 50s and they're, you know... A, brain in a jar and waggly arms with pincers on the end and then you know you get your star wars droids and you get your t1000 and and all those kind of things and um when when irobot came out everybody was like oh it's it's like an apple mac uh as a robot and baymax is kind of an extension of that he is this extremely welcoming form that's mostly inflated um just this kind of white plastic uh that's that's very uh cuddle friendly um and he's designed to be you know he's designed as a essentially like a first first aid first responder um or more a uh, or or a healthcare provider kind of for round the clock care you know he's able to give first aid he's able to analyze scan your body and you know check it for for illnesses and stuff like that and provide assistance and a lot of the the the, one of the central kind of emotional conflicts in the film is when hero decides to try and countermand those core instructions that, that that baymax has and so that he will be better at seeking revenge uh and and programs him with all this fighting technology and then so adds that to his repertoire and then at a certain point takes out 
the 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 software that is essentially the caring side of Baymax. Um, and it's a really interesting look at, as I said earlier, talking about how AI as a as a nebulous program mixes with AI as a robotic form, because um, it's it's realizing that Baymax, yes, is this form this cuddly form that we've grown to associate and with and great comedy great physical animation performance and vocal performance by scott adset um but essentially the things that we love about baymax come in this disc that can't that can be popped out of his chest cavity and at the end of the film baymax essentially spoiler alert sacrifices himself but we realise that he's managed to sneak out this this disc that is his personality, and so he can be rebuilt. And so the the destruction of the self at the end of the film, the kind of heroic sacrifice, doesn't actually matter because his essentially his soul, the program, the AI, is something that can be replicated and moved into a new body. Um, and the film doesn't hugely explore that because it's it's kind of this last minute thing of like oh you know you thought you sat he sacrificed himself but it turns out he's still around it's fine stop crying small child <laughs> your robot friend is still here <laughs> um, he's he's not gone he's okay he's fine he's fine look 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 um but it is but it but it it the the reason that he's able to do that is because of the ai nature of the of of baymax you know if if it was a if it was a different film if he was a you know alien friend or something you know then the the ending would be very different so i think it's fascinating because it's and it also shows how far we've come and at the very beginning of the show we talked about how people are more and more familiar with technology and that enables us to have these conversations and to have films that discuss these matters it's now got to the point where you can have a kid's film that can get into this quite dense idea of like, no, I know the robot is funny, but like the thing that makes the robot nice is this tiny thing inside him and that can be taken out and put somewhere else. And kids can get that and and completely understand it. It's almost like a giant builder bear. You put the little thing in and say a little, <laughs> say a little Weirdly, phrase and yes. record it and put it in the thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Baymax stands out because I can't think of another big cuddly robot that's like literally physically cuddly. Like the fact that he's this inflatable kind of plastic kind of vibe is so different to everything else we talked about. We've talked about, you know, ones that try to accurately replicate humans or ones that look like big blocky robots or one that is just an earbud and a phone or you know, a chip in your brain, like upgrade and, and all this kind of stuff. But the fact that he is just something so different in design and concept and purpose to everything else we've talked about. We've not really talked about like, yeah, you know, he's, he's not a servant, but he's here to help kind of thing. He's not enslaved, but he has a positive relationship with hero and isn't, you know, trying to break free of the bonds of his 
construction and all this kind of stuff. Baymax is trying to evolve and become more and escape his mortality <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. It it doesn't need to address those big questions because that's not what Baymax is. And he's such a when you said when you put that on the you know we have Google Docs that we kind of share our notes on and prepare for the show and all that kind of stuff as you guys know. And Tim wrote Big Hero Six. I was like. That's a really interesting one. I would never thought of in a million years. Like, it wouldn't even occur to me to think like, oh yeah, Baymax is an AI because he's a cuddly toy. Basically, he's this big robot thing. And again, when I was coming up with X Machina and Blade Runner, like robots, AI, what's the difference? Where's the barriers? Where are the boundaries? And Baymax just goes, "Fuck the boundaries! I'm a big inflatable Michelin man. <laughs> I'll give you a hug." <laughs> <laughs> Balloon Doctor. AI is a very tricky one because as much as it talks about how we talk about, you know, servitude and slavery and control and the male gaze, etc, 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 and what it means to be human, there is always one defining difference. And this is true in shit like The Iron Giant or Big Hero 6 or Her or Blade Runner. And that's death. Humans die and there ain't no coming back. When you see something like fucking Star Trek Nemesis, oh no, and that f I don't care about spoiling Nemesis, fuck it. Data's dead, but don't worry, because before he died, we found another one looks just like him, a little bit simpler, he's uploaded most of his memories, he's got in there somewhere, so don't worry, he'll be back one day. And it's the Baymax thing, don't worry, that thing that makes him special, the soul or whatever it might be for a robot, the little chip, it ain't gone. We found it. We replicated it. We copied it. We backgraded it. You know, we upgraded it. We, we, we did a backup online. The cloud has it. And I don't, don't want to give an example, but there is a recent TV example that means that when you could be talking about grief and death and all these cool things, because of robots transferring consciousnesses and stuff, you could just wave a hand and all that's not a problem anymore. And it's like, you know, oh, but I had a real connection with this character and they died. Yeah, but did they die? You know, and you cut to some warehouse somewhere and a flashing like beep, beep, beep. Hey, there they are. It's okay. Do you know how many fucking films do that when a character dies who's like, you know, your favorite fucking character in, a, in an action film or, or even like a crime drama? Oh, shit. Oh, that, that's really cut me because that was my favorite character and they're gone now. Beep, beep, beep. What the fuck is this? <laughs> Don't worry, their ghost is in this box and we'll bring them back and put them in another body soon. <laughs> that's weird. And, you, and, and, and it's a strange thing because we still, we want that, you know, it's a human. We want that connection. We want that, that, uh, uh, that projection. But we don't want to lose it because we're too sick of losing humans. It's too sad. We can't process it. So just tell me the robot's okay. And then I might see it again someday. The sort of, not necessarily the lie, but the things we tell each other through religions and going, you know, where's my dog? Oh, it's on a farm upstate. You'll see it again one day. Where's his granddad? He's in heaven. You'll see him one day. That kind of thing. It's like the whole... He's been uploaded to the cloud. <laughs> He's been uploaded to the cloud. And I'm pretty sure there's some stuff on like Apple TV that's, or maybe there's some HBO Max one, with a story that is exactly that sort of, you know, in death, we can save your memories and transfer you to a new body or this this thing we and again I, i'm in we what we watched recently i was talking about a film called archive by gavin rothery that does pretty much fucking that um so yeah 
death, robots do it different. <laughs> wow. But getting horny, they do that the same. Tim is uh, rubbing his eyes, ladies and gentlemen, in desperation from, <laughs> from Matt. Tim's just used to it by now. I got us to something sweet and wholesome. I got us to Baymax, and you had to bring it back to death and horniness. Tim, I'm only human. <laughs> right? Or are you? I must admit, no matter how many things I've watched, like The Matrix or X-Mac or anything else, I haven't said to myself, am I a robot? Nah. I'm painfully, painfully human. Well, on that depressing note, Matthew, thank you very much for listening, everybody. We have talked about a variety of AIs on this episode. Mike, I hope you enjoyed your Patreon pick for the end season. And uh, the three of us can be followed on social media. You can go find us all on Sequelizers. Nice and easy. We're Sequelizers on Twitter, Sequelizers on Instagram, Sequelizers on Facebook. Find it on all of the possible podcast listening apps. You can go to Sequelizers.com, list of all the different social media stuff, our shop, our Discord, our Patreon, hub and wealth of information at sequelizers.com. If you want to follow me personally, I'm JLW Chambers on all the social medias. Matt, any depressing hot takes about robots on social media for you? Yeah, depressing and hot. Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z on the internet. So you can also go to cheesemint.com and look at the various things that I make creatively. You can go to theredrighthand.co.uk and see the reviews that I write. Again, sorry, everything's still locked down and things. It's not. There's not much on there. I may or may not at this point have put Raya and The Last Dragon and, and the Snyder Cut on there. I might not have fucking bothered. We'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, you can go there. Tim, if people want to test you in a Turing-y kind of way, how can they do that? You can find my internet presence on Twitter, trivia underscore lad. Uh, you can try and work out whether or not I am simply a bot uh, designed by uh, Russian agents to retweet things that I find funny and or politically relevant. Who knows? Maybe I'm just an artificial intelligence. But that's where you can find me uh, if you're interested in following me. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with hopefully a slightly less mortality questioning and depressing episode. Oh, I don't know. There's questions. It might get really bad. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be. Possibly. It's listener feedback next week, folks. So, uh, yeah. Get your questions in. And uh, most of you already have. So we'll get to them. And it'll be interesting and depressing. And maybe we'll question our mortality. Who knows? See you next week. Tomo arigato, Mr. Roboto. I, I feel like we've ended episodes on that song like 50 times. <laughs> <laughs>